Well, we'll get out again this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. I read something this week and I thought it would be interesting just to talk about it for a few moments. And it was about a God. A God called Shirley. A God with a female name that seems to be worshipped by many people today. It's difficult to get to grips with actually what this God teaches. It doesn't have a catechism and it doesn't have any written down doctrine. I couldn't find any. But it's a God which is quoted by many people in, in many churches and even people outside churches. Surely, the God seems to be easily satisfied. And in fact, is held in favor by many, many people. The beliefs and followers of this God frequently say things that are not in line with Scripture but seem to be very logical nevertheless to a lot of people. And I thought we'd look at a couple of the beliefs of this God. God called Shirley. Surely God wouldn't let us all have trouble if we live right lives. Surely God says we wouldn't have trouble. Surely God wouldn't send people to hell. Would he? Surely God says he wouldn't. Surely God accepts what good people say and they say, I don't know much about my religion, I just live it. Surely God can use that kind of witness. Surely God can. Surely God doesn't, doesn't want us to kill all the animals and eat them. Surely God does not mean the promised land to have been the Jews' land for all time. Strange doctrines, this God, surely. We come across it all the time. Surely God hates divorce, but he understands that bad things happen and we cannot untangle the results of sin so surely God just overlooks the divorce after a couple of years. Surely God delights in the fact that people use the Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and the film The Passion to lead people to Christ. Surely God does. Surely God will bless the Alpha Course even though it accepts the Roman Catholics and the religion as just another denomination. Surely God will bless us. Beware of this God, surely. This God comes with a spiritual health warning. And you can add an awful lot more doctrines to what surely God says. It's a dangerous God. It goes against scripture. When you get somebody saying, surely God Beware. The only surely I could find was surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's the only sure God I want to trust. This other surely God, watch out. She's dangerous. Okay. Just thought that was interesting. So let's read First Samuel 11. And we'll go back to what God says. And not surely God says. From verse 5, And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field, and Saul said, 
What aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the man of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard these ti those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed it in pieces and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the people, and they came out with one consent, with one mind. They all came as with one mind. And when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said unto the messengers that came, Thus shall ye say unto the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by that time the sun be hot, ye shall have help, ye shall have deliverance. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out unto you. I said this to the Ammonites, obviously. We will come out unto you, and ye shall do with us all that seemeth good unto you. Remember, they were going to put out their right eyes. And, so, and it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch, and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered, so that two of them were not left together. And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. And Saul said, There shall not be a man be put to death this day. Today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Then said Samuel to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed the sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the people of Israel rejoiced greatly. We see another nice aspect of Saul here, don't we? Having been elected king in previous chapters, he, he didn't lord it over all the people. He actually went back to work on the farm. And when all this trouble began with the Ammonites and Jabesh Gilead, and the, the messengers arrived, and the people we saw last week were crying, they got themselves into the situation really, going away from God but they cried because it was affecting them now and he came in out he'd followed the herd in out of the field and he said what's all the noise and they told him what had happened and it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he was very angry now we saw the connection between the people in Jabesh Gilead and with the people of Benjamin uh, and they, 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 they had these girls that they had brought from Jabesh, 400 girls had been brought back to the tribe of Benjamin and it had saved and helped revive the tribe of Benjamin. So uh, there was a great connection between Jabesh Gilead and the Benjaminites. And he became very angry. That might have been one reason why he was so angry, because of this affinity between the two peoples. 
And he, he cut up a, a, a yoke of oxen and he sent the bits of them all around the countryside and said, if you don't come, I'm going to go and cut up your animals the same way. It was a, a bit of an incentive for them to, to come and join the army. Well, they mobilized 300,000 men from Israel and 30,000, 330,000 men within a very, very short space of time because it was all to be done very quickly because the Ammonites had set a time limit on the people from Jabesh Gilead before they put their eyes out. You know, we must remember, of course, that God was displeased with the people. He, he was not happy that they had discarded him and wanted a king. Nevertheless, God, in his graciousness, allowed this army to have a remarkable victory. And there weren't two men left together of the Ammonites by the end of the day. They were scattered all over the countryside. It was a clever tactic that Saul had employed. He split his army up into three, and the speed of his action also uh, caught the Ammonites by surprise. Very decisive victory. And then we see another aspect of uh, Saul here. He, he didn't lord it over the, the people, but here he, he, the people said, who are, let's, we've had a wonderful victory. Now, there were fellows here a while ago who were saying they wouldn't have anything to do with Saul. Let's have them out here now, and we'll wipe them out. But he says, no, this is a time for victory. I'm not going to, we're not going to kill anybody. There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. All so commendable, wasn't it, for this man Saul? He, he obviously had, at this stage, a very affable and a friendly character. How sad that in just a space of a few years he changed so much. But at the moment he was showing compassion and friendliness. In Saul, of course, we, we know that Saul is a type of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will come, he'll be the man of sin, this world ruler who will at first be so agreeable. Everybody will, will think he has the answer. He will bring peace to the Middle East situation. He will sign a, a contract with Israel for seven years, but halfway through that period he'll break it. He'll bring peace just as Saul brought peace here against the, the, the Ammonites and again against the Philistines. But soon this man, this Antichrist who will come, will change dramatically. He will demand worship as God and bring in a time of great and horrible wickedness throughout the world. Greater than anything we have ever seen or thought possible. You see, Saul also fought against God's man. When David, when he went away from God and became wicked, he tried to kill King David, the, the, the future King David, many, many times. He was fighting against God's man. Strange. Many, many times he, he, he tried to kill David. Why did he do that, I wonder? Well, the reason is, at the back of it all, is that the lion, the Messiah, was going to come through David. And Satan was trying, even then, to break the line. 
of the Messiah. The Antichrist, of course, he will demand worship. He will be against Christ, Antichrist, but also he will go instead of Christ. He will expect people to worship him and seek to be a Christ. So Saul had that type in his, in his life. He, he was, unfortunately, a man who was against the anointed one of God, against David. But going back to, to Saul, Samuel then said, at the, when the battle was over, let's all go to Gilgal. Verse 14, then Samuel said to the people, come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel greatly rejoiced. You know, we must remember that this was a time of great sadness for Samuel. Samuel had been ruler in Israel for many years, but their people had rejected God and he really felt that they had rejected him. So this was a time of sadness for Samuel. And so he called them to Gilgal. We saw the significance of Gilgal in, in previous talks where Gilgal was the place where the children of Israel, when they came out of the wilderness and they came into the promised land, it was there at Gilgal, they dramatically discarded the things of the world and they were going to enter into all that Christ had in store for them in the future. But such a change at Gilgal this time, this time, although they offered sacrifices to God, they at the same time were rejecting God. They didn't want God to rule over them. And yet here they were offering peace offerings and sacrifices and rejoicing before God, but in actual fact they had rejected God in favor of their choice of king. Like so many of us today, we wish when we're in trouble and when we're in difficulties or when we have time of rejoicing, we want to pray and thank God for us or pray for God's help in other situations, but we don't want his leadership in our everyday lives. The world is like that. We have days of prayer when there are difficulties, but when that's all over, we want to go back and live our own lives just as we please. The children of Israel had rejected God, and God, in fact, was angry. God was displeased with this whole situation. How gracious he was to have given them that victory. But you know, the fact that God had given them that victory was not in any way signifying the approval of God in rejecting him. It's obvious, isn't it? They had shown by their actions that they didn't want God anymore. And we hear that kind of argument so often. If, if there's something good results in something which has been done, even though it's against the word of God, we're, we have to accept it. I was looking at that book we all read, I hope we all read it, Breaking Down the Barriers, a few uh, months ago. But he, uh, Randall says exactly what we're talking about. He's talking here about the march for Jesus, but it could be the Alpha Course or anything else. Good results indicate God's blessing. Well, Pastor, someone got saved at the last march for Jesus. Well, praise the Lord, but get him into a good church, though. Moses struck the rock when God told him to speak to it. The water gushed out. Did Moses do the right thing? He got good results. He blessed a lot of people. 
No, he did the wrong thing. He dishonored God in front of all the people of Israel. And we know that he didn't get into the promised land. Results don't always indicate that what we do is right. God's word is sovereign and he will not uh, let his word return unto him void. It will accomplish that whereunto he has sent it. But nevertheless, Moses didn't get into the promised land. The real reason behind it, of course, was... Well, one of the reasons behind it, the, the rock is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Moses initially, the first time, struck the rock, and the water was given to the people, that was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ being uh, struck by the wrath of God and bearing our sins at Calvary. Then when, they told him, when God told him to speak to the rock the next time, that we can come to Christ in prayer and supplication and ask for things, but Moses struck him twice. And Christ doesn't have to do it. Christ offered sacrifices once for sins forever and is sat down at the right hand of God. And that's why it's so evil that the Mass and the, the sacrifice of the Mass. It's completely and totally against even the, the types in the Old Testament. It's also against the, the teaching of the New Testament. Let's go on. Saul now was anointed king by Samuel. You see, Samuel had anointed Saul. Uh, you remember when they went to see him in Ramah and he told the servant to go on ahead and Saul anointed him. Uh, Samuel anointed Saul as king. But that was done in a very secretive sort of way. And Saul had never been anointed by Samuel in front of all the people. And so it says that uh, they went and that they were going to uh, renew the kingdom. They were actually going to anoint Saul as king in front of all the people and all the people went to Gilgal and they made King Saul and they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal this was sort of making it legal and uh, obvious to all the people you see the times of the judges that had been ruling Israel was at an end the theocracy was was finished and Samuel and the other judges it ended there. If you look at Acts 13 in verse 20 it says and after that he gave unto them judges and this for the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. This was the end of the judges and the kingdom period was commencing in Israel. Was God still pleased about it? No. In Hosea in verse 13, chapter 13 11 it says I gave thee a king in mine anger I gave thee a king in mine anger and so we come to this meeting in Gilgal now Samuel was stepping down as the judge and the uh, ruler in Israel and so he gave a speech to the people. And look at 1 Samuel 12, uh, verse 1. Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that ye said unto me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walketh before you. And I am old and grey-headed, and behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. He'd served them so well, right from the time he was a little tot, serving Eli in the temple, 
and his mother coming up every year and bringing him a new suit of clothes, he had served them from then right up till now, and now he was a grey-headed old man. Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes where therewith? And I will restore it to you. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. He appealed. Now he wasn't their judge. He was just one of them. Because the king had taken over. He was stepping down. And he appealed to those people. Whom he had served all his life. As to his integrity. Can we or dare we. Put ourselves up. In front of our peers. And ask them to declare, have they found us always to be of good character? It doesn't really matter what our peers think about us. It's what does Christ think about us. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And our actions and our deeds will be judged. Not our salvation, because that is assured but how we have built on the rock of our salvation, how we have built our lives, we will all stand. But here at the end of his life, he was able to say that he'd never spoken ill. He had never defrauded them. He'd never oppressed them. He had never taken anything that wasn't his. Oh, how different it was for his sons and how different it was for Eli's sons. Initially, when, when Samuel went to work for Eli in the tabernacle, they were a couple of crooks, Hophni and Phinehas. And Samuel's sons seemed to have been uh, in the same mold. But this dear man could say, tell me and I'll restore it. But they couldn't point a finger at him. You know, we, a few weeks ago we looked at some of the, the comparisons between Saul, the king, and Saul of Tarsus. But you know, Samuel here was quite doing something which Saul of Tarsus did. Paul. If you go to Acts verse tw chapter 20 again. Paul had spent a long time working in Ephesus. In verse 18, he was leaving them. He was taking his leave. He was going to go back to Jerusalem where he was going to be arrested. And he called the elders of the church and when they were come to him, 
he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. He didn't only see them in, in the summer months when everything was going well, but he saw, they saw how he behaved all the time, all seasons. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me. He was leaving. Imagine having had Paul there for about three years preaching, holding Bible classes and teaching them. But he says, I don't know what's going to befall me, save that the Holy Spirit witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, uh, wait for me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And that's the whole point of our Christian lives. We have to finish the course. And he says, I want to finish it with joy. And if you look at all the things that happened to Saul, uh, Paul, on his way through life, he, he had so many things, so many afflictions, so many uh, times he was beaten up. But he says, I want to finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Doing exactly what Samuel had done when he was leaving his post as judge in Israel. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the flock of God, the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch. And remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn you, everyone, night and day, with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. He was encouraging them all. And this is it. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. And I have showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He was able to stand there and say, I've done all this. I want you to record it that I have done this. Same as Samuel was able to get up and say exactly the same thing. He goes on in Thessalonians, he says much the same thing. In First Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and verses 9 to 11. 
For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, therefore we would not be chargeable unto you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy, holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Able to stand up at the end of his life and say, can you point a finger at my life? Is there anything that I have done which I should not have done? Oh, to God that we, we would be able to say that. Unless my life reflects what I say, it is no value. That's, that's it, really. You know, this God even, our Lord Jesus graphically pointed this out in his day. In Matthew 22, he said, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They are the descendants of Moses. They're the ones who are responsible for giving the law. And he says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. Whatever they tell you to do, do it. They're reading and they're, dis they're telling the law of God. And that's their saying. It's as if Moses said it. And if they say you have to observe something, do it. But here's the sad thing. But do not after their works. For they say and do not. They say and do not. They said the right things, but their actions belied what they said. Remember, years ago, we went to a Bible class in the wire, and uh, we used to have a chorus book and we sing choruses out of it but there's one chorus in it and if there was a visiting speaker and he said we'll have a chorus uh, anybody got a favourite one of us would choose to shout this one out and it was practice what you preach do the things you teach then you'll surely reach the others all around we didn't know the chorus we never sang it but we always used to just shout it out if there was a visiting guy there just to embarrass him practice what you preach do the things you teach, then you'll surely reach the others all around. Somebody told it to us one time, he, he, he changed it over on us, and he says, well, we don't know, we learn it now, and we learned it. But you know, that is the trouble, isn't it? Samuel was able to say, I practice what I preached. Paul was able to say, I practice what I preached. Can I say, I practice what I preached? Paul, at the end of his life, in, in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7 and 8, he said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth it is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. Are you looking forward excitedly? Are you waiting for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ to take us to be with himself? If you are, you're going to get a crown. That's what it says. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, but not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. We're all going to get a crown if we're looking for his appearing. But he says... I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. We don't know when our course will be finished. You know, my course might be finished today. 
I always remember the, the, the chap who took that Bible class that I was telling you about where we used to give out that course. He was, I went to a mission and he, he ran a little group and, say, and they were singing, coming home, coming home, never more to roam. And he was knocked down with a car that night. Was killed. He didn't know that he was coming home. You and I don't know when we're coming home. We don't know when our course will be finished. But at the end, will we be able to say, I've kept the faith, I have finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. At his retirement, no one could point a finger at Samuel. At the end of his life, no one could point a finger at Paul. Oh God, may each one of us, we may say, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. Amen.